0: to say that podcast for your big questions get real answers my name is matt king i'm your host from the city of chicago joining us here is jed brewer
1: oh yeah with us all the way from our christian to is lee younger in the pre-record run-up uh, somebody mentioned jurassic park and i will now be thinking about uh great lines delivered by jeff goldblum
2: for the rest of the recording
0: sure feel free to just uh, spit those out at random places throughout the show
2: great lines find a way <laughs>
0: I feel like Jeff didn't have that much chest hair before we started the show. <laughs> and I feel like it's part of the Goldblum impression, and I guess that just happened. So do, do a Jeff Goldblum impression with caution. People at home, I guess is
2: what I'm saying. I'm, I'm a method actor, guys. I commit to it. When, I, when I, go, I go, I go all the way.
0: If you're wearing a shirt that's buttons you care about, think about that before you start doing the Jeff Goldblum impression, because those buttons, they're just going to fall They're just going to melt off.
2: <laughs> there it is there it is.
0: Well, we have a great show lined up. We have uh, uh some of your excellent questions. Uh, but first, we I'm afraid have an internet emergency.
2: What? it's
0: a much a much more pleasant internet emergency than we normally have on the show, so that's that's a good oh. place to start. uh Jed, you, okay. you you brought this to the group's attention, so would you care to to walk through the people? What you have found on, and here's a here's a nightmarish phrase, but again, this is this is not a bad thing, a Reddit, a subreddit called Curated Tumblr, where the internet goes to eat itself, presumably. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, I certainly can, and I, I want to be clear, I have no idea if this is real or not. Um is this sharing something made up possibly, but it's well within the bounds of credulity. And I feel like that alone says something. So um, I'm on the, the internet aggregator platform, Reddit, and uh, I see a post from the, the curated Tumblr subreddit. Um, and it is describing, which they are claiming is real. I've not been able to verify this myself. I've also not tried because I've already seen enough Christian nightmares in my life. But they're describing a Christian social media network, which appears to be kind of a, a derivative of, of every social media network you've ever seen in your life, which is not a surprise. But they've changed a bit of the nomenclature to make it more Christian. Which Again, there's a, there's a pattern emerging here. So, oh. you know, in, in most social media networks, right, you have a mechanism to show either your pleasure or your displeasure of a, a shared post, a shared item, you know, an image or an update or a bit of news, right? Your, your approval, your disapproval, your, your thumbs up, your thumbs down, your smiley face, your frowny face. We, we all, we get the idea. We get the concept. The question is, how do you translate that for Christians? How do you take that need to respond both decisively, but also very quickly to anything and everything, but do it in a Christian way? Well, I have news, friends. I present to you the following uh, yin and yang of the Christian social media world. We've got pray for with upright praying hands, and we've got pray against with downward-facing praying hands. Wow. Wow. Yeah,
0: that is that's pretty Christian.
2: Let me let me check in right away. I just shared a bit of news socially with you, gentlemen. How do we feel? Each of you are we praying for? Or are we praying against this update? So
1: it, I, I, let me get this straight. Depending on the answer to my question, the orientation of my hands matters. That's right. Yes, it does. Oh. You wouldn't. Fingers, you would want to get fingers those reversed. Pointed toward heaven. Yep. Then I approve. And yes. then if, the, if, which I don't even know how to do this, I'm trying, this is, podcasting is an audio medium, but I'm actually physically trying to have the praying hands pointed down with my physical, yeah. actual body. It's very uncomfortable. But if I it do that, like hard.
2: I'm praying against it, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. This feels like a yoga pose. You know what? I believe that. I believe that. The downward disapproving dog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Well uh, this I think offers us a world of opportunities now that we know that this is a thing. This uh cheaply and hastily skinned on to every other like dislike button in the world. Um a couple of things come to mind. And one that you've just given us now, Lee, by pointing out the the icons are kind of the the again the very two hands pressed together pointing up is pray for and the others pray against. This is now a wonderful tool for passive aggressivity in the church. Oh yeah, oh yeah. yeah. When you're in the, the 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 Bible study or the small group, or I guess you could even do it in a, in a big church setting. And so, oh, can you pray for something? But we, we've all had those moments where someone pray at, at gives a prayer request for something that you think is either not great for their life, or you're just a little annoyed at. Like it's one of those of like, oh well, you know, my. Girlfriend couldn't be at church this morning, but I'd like you to pray. And like everyone in the room is like, we're actually praying that you break up with her because this is yeah. clearly terrible for both of you. But you can't say <laughs> yeah. that. So, but if you do the prayer, but you do the, the prayer hands pointing down during wow. it, is that like a yep. fingers crossed behind your back situation? That's really oh, interesting, dang, dude. Like it, it just wow. kind of, it reverses the wave function. Like okay. Jesus knows. <laughs> and the other people in the room might
1: know. Like we're all we're all praying that you know he breaks up with right? Okay, no, we're, yeah, we're all on the same page. I want to talk about the CSS of this for a moment, okay? No, because do. I think
2: I think I've the already Clyde demonstrated.
0: Staples. staples. <laughs> <laughs>
2: that's that, yeah, that's what that stands for. You got it. That's, that's it. <laughs> this I think was I've coded on CSS plus.
1: <laughs> CSS Lewis, um, th- like I think we've all I, I think we've already demonstrated that the actual praying hands down is a difficult thing to to happen in the real world. So I want us to put a little bit more work into the iconography of the up or down for the Christians on the internet. So right. I want to submit to you guys. Um, and this has the backing of scripture. Oh, no. so um, I just want to about to get you know, bibled. Yeah. Let's, let's Bible it just a little bit from Psalm 55. Okay. Uh, this guy is talking about a close friend that he had. He said, with whom I once enjoyed Sweet fellowship as we walked with the throng at the house of God. So I think for an up vote, we could have like a little icon of like uh, the temple, the house of God. I was worried you are going to say an
0: icon of a throng, and I don't even know what that would begin to be.
1: Yeah. <laughs> now I'm thinking of a song from the nineties that I will not start singing. And um, everyone's heard Ooh, that the throng song. So
2: scandalous. <laughs>
1: Psalm okay. fifty-five. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say Jeff Goldblum has been ejected from my brain. Um, <laughs> um, okay, so for the upvote, we've got a little, we've got a little icon of the temple. Now let's move okay. on to verse fifteen of Psalm fifty-five. Okay, let death take my enemies by surprise. Let them go down alive to the grave. So now I'm thinking. Turn. Yeah, that's metal right there, dude. So, yo, yeah. There's some d- do not be dismayed friends. There are some metal places in the Old Testament. Yeah. There's some yeah. great heavy metal band names in the Old Testament. Psalm 18 has like four great yeah, ones. Yeah. You know, the torrents of the grave, this kind of thing. Um anyway, so let them go down alive to the grave. So I think like I think like uh, you know, maybe an icon of a tombstone. Okay. So we have what we want with our friends. We want to be at the house of God, what we want for our enemies. We want them to go down alive to the grave. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So either like, you know, like death itself with a sickle or just like a tombstone or an open grave or something like that. I think if we Bible this, we can come up with some, some more appropriate icons. Dude, I am.
2: I'm am here for it. I'm here for it.
0: I, I will say from a user behavior standpoints, um, I think you would really think hard about whether or not that down vote was worth it if you're, the thing you are clicking on was a tombstone. <laughs> like, do I, do I really dislike this person's thought on this Marvel movie that much?
2: Yes. Well, you know. I want death to take <laughs> them by surprise. No, that's internet right there. That's, that's going all the way. Here's my question. If we go with that iconography, which I'm fully in favor of, because I, I love the drama. I'm here for it. Could we change pray for pray against to bless or smite? Ooh. Because that's another way to interpret those same two bits of iconography. Wow. Dude, now I would I want... mash that
1: smite button. Now I want the smite button to actually be a bolt of lightning. Yes. Yes.
0: In wow. the In the Pantheon, we talked about so many of them over the course of this show, of... Kind of as as Jed started off describing this, Christians taking a thing that is popular and like making it really weird and awkward by trying to put a a kind of weird Christian ish patina on it. The thing that I have now have lodged in my brain is somebody trying to figure out how to make the the kind of phraseology of smash or pass, which is a little <laughs> a little harsh, a little tawdry, and maybe somebody being like, mm, can we just can we make that a bless or smite? Yeah. Yeah. That's that's got a real youth camp energy to it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Now I'm loving this man.
0: I I thought a slightly differently from Lee there. So Lee was kind of going on the technical and I'm, I'm thinking more of bringing this into the, into the real world in the sense of, um, you've probably again, been in a small group or a men's group, a ladies group, some, something where you do do prayer requests on a weekly, maybe basis. um, and they're often, you know, a, a positive thing, you know, I'm having a hard time or I'd like to have this big thing coming up or whatever. I, I think maybe some honesty would be begotten from, and people would benefit from doing a second round of what do you specifically want us to pray for smiting? Ooh, could be a situation, Ooh. could be a person. So, you know, you can, I think that would build more authenticity because often it's like, well, you know, things it's a, t- it's a busy season at work and, um, you know, things are a little hectic, and I'd really like to you know, have the right time and a good attitude, and that's great. Then you go, okay, now we're doing the smite round, and be like, Sarah at work. I don't yes. know, I mean, she's got to, like, I don't, we got a tombstone, or maybe she can get sick for a couple of days so I can get some work done, but, like, smite round, we're going to get a little more honest.
1: See, I think this is fantastic, but every now and then, dear listener, Matt will show his hand that he didn't go to church until he was, like, 18 years old, because, that's true. as Jed and I know... Christians do not want to be that honest about it. They want to have yep. the unspoken prayer request, yeah, the yep. ever popular quote unquote unspoken prayer request, and we all know that's a smiting. well yeah, that brings yeah. up,
0: but at least kind of a a straddle in the middle here of an unspoken smite request, <laughs> yeah, which would really dial up the drama in the in the small group. Yes. like you would think very hard if someone was like, "I have an unspoken smite request." And just kind of glanced in a direction. I think maybe everyone would really think about how well they were treating their fellow community members that week.
1: That's right. Did you see her look at Angela after she (laughs) had the unspoken smite
0: request? (laughs) Uh, Also, in in the uh, small group room, no one would sit under the clock anymore. Because they would get a lot of glances thrown their way during the smite request round, which I assume would come at the end of the hour.
2: Yeah. Yeah, fantastic. Okay. The following is a real actual thing. And it relates back to the Psalms. This is a couple years ago. I'm reading some book and it's from a guy who spent like 30 years in a monastic order. He he spent most of his life as, as a monk and someone who was asking him like, well, how do you deal with like personal conflict? And like, you know, I mean, like people kind of make enemies everywhere. So I mean, like, how does that work? He's like, well, there was this one guy and I'll tell you what he did. What he would do, because, you know, a lot of monastic orders, right, like you'll pray together several times a day and you'll you'll read the scriptures together several times a day. And so, like, you're going to read some of the Psalms like together, like out loud, like every day. And so he's like when he was mad at somebody, whenever we would read a Psalm and something like the word enemy would be in there, dude would lean and crane his neck to stare directly at whoever he was mad at when reading the word enemy. And man, that is. That is incredible. And I think that that totally gets the unspoken smite request.
0: Yeah, that's, I feel like there's a lot we can learn from monks, but maybe not in the way monks or us would think. (laughs) Yeah. And I, yeah, I think, I think we really took a journey there. I think we, we came away with the rare useful things. Please. If you uh, work in either a hands down, Gives these backseats prayer pose or uh, smite request into your uh, small group setting. Please let us know how that goes and don't tell them that it was our idea. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. On that, we That's will right. declare emergency off. We have many times in this show over the years, and it is absolutely true, said so if you hear something on the show that you think is smart or you think would help someone else, feel free to absolutely, you don't have to tell them you heard it from us. You don't have to tell them you heard it on a podcast. Just steal it, act like you uh, thought it up. That goes double for things that are probably not going to work because they're insane. Yep. Please do not drag <laughs> us down into that.
2: If your church got inspired by Lee's scripture reading and you're like throng song, that's what we need. That's the worship single that my church needs. And you <laughs> you write throng song. Please don't tell anyone that you got that from us. We yeah. will be fascinated to hear it, but don't tell anyone that you got that from Unless us.
0: Unless it gets big, in which case we will be rolling out this recording in a court proceeding. To get that <laughs> asscat money. <laughs> So, yes, with that said, we'll move on to your fine questions. You have a question for us. You can hang us all the way to the end or you can uh, scroll down your episode description, get some links to get in touch with us. Our first question comes in and says, be still and know sounds like a great concept, but I have a really hard time sitting still. I don't find it relaxing. It stresses me out, kind of. How do I get better at it? And I think a a wonderful, uh, interesting question, a great place to start off. And Jed, where would we begin?
2: man, I love this question. I'm really glad that you wrote in and I can totally relate. Uh, and I think actually, if we're honest, I think most people can relate. I, I, I can't speak for earlier times in human history, but I, I think we live in one of the most distracted, constantly in motion periods I can imagine. I mean, like just, just the level of stimulus from electronic devices alone is just, I mean, it's just nonstop. And so, um, what you're describing makes total, total sense to me. And I think maybe that's really the first thing is to begin by um, let's get rid of any shame or anything about this. Mm-hmm. Let's just say it makes sense to feel kind of somewhat distracted and, you know, kind of overstimulated basically all the time because that is the age in which we live. So what do we do about it? The thing that I would suggest, this has been true in my life and I imagine it's be true for you. I think step one is an acknowledgement that Stillness is a skill that you build. It's not something that you just jump into. And I'm not sure that it's something that much of anybody is particularly inherently good at. But even if you do have some sort of natural talent for stillness, it's still going to be a skill that you have to develop over time as opposed to just, I'll just practice stillness now. With these kind of things, I think the most important thing to be aware of is, is just where do you begin, practically speaking? And the place I would encourage you to begin, because it's, it's pretty easy, it doesn't really require any gear or anything, is a, a phrase that you've probably heard before, which is called mindfulness meditation. Um, the easiest, simplest version of mindfulness meditation is to go to a quiet place and, and kind of sit in a comfortable chair and just kind of breathe deeply, not like huge deep breaths, but just, you know, on the, on the deep side of normal and just pay attention to your breath focus your attention fully on your breath as you breathe in and as you breathe out. That's kind of the the most basic way to do mindfulness meditation. Um, I can tell you a couple things about it. The first is for people who do it, it's, it can be absolutely transformative. Um, there's a, a million benefits uh, to it. Um, I, I can't recognize it, uh, recommend it strong enough. And also it's really hard. Like it's really hard to sit and only focus on your breath and nothing else. That is, That is almost surprisingly difficult. So the way that I would recommend doing it is to start for 60 seconds. Take 60 seconds and just sit and focus on your breath. Even in that 60 seconds, you will have thoughts trying to invade your brain. Just say in in the stillness of your thoughts, just say thinking and try and let those thoughts pass and go back to focusing on your breath. See if you can do it for 60 seconds. And here's the thing. There's no such thing as doing a bad job with meditating. It's just you either, you either took time to do it or you didn't start with 60 seconds. When you get to a point where you can do that pretty reliably, take it up to two minutes, keep building a little bit by a little bit. Don't let it become a stressor because that kind of defeats the whole purpose. Let it be something chill. I think you'll find a couple things. I think the first thing that you'll find is that the first half dozen times you do it, it'll probably feel a little bit weird. And then after that, your brain will be like, oh man, this is the best part of the day. Like, I, I think you're going to find that you, you like it a whole, whole lot. If you really want to go for the gusto, don't do this quickly, but build your way up to 20 minutes. That would be a good place over time and give yourself plenty of time to get there, but but build your way up to 20 minutes. I think that that is a great practical way to begin practicing stillness. Um, there's other ways to do it, but again, that's one that doesn't really require hardly anything special at all. If you want to add one small thing to it, there's this great app. There's a few, but the one that I like is called calm spelled C A L M. Um, it's really good stuff. And they actually have a built in kind of, uh, class series on how to learn a little bit more about meditation and just make it something that benefits you, you know, more and more and more. So that's, that can be kind of a down the road thing if you want. But that's a good place to begin. But again, recognizing that we live in an incredibly distracted age, the stillness is good, but it's something we build over time as a skill. It's not just some sort of, you know, I'm super spiritual, so I can be still. No, it's a a skill that we develop. Uh, Mindfulness meditation is a good way to do it. There's other ways to do it. But if I think if you'll give yourself that grace and kind of set kind of some realistic goals on it, not only will you get there, but you'll reap the benefits along the way.
0: I think it's an excellent place to start, a great suggestion. And in the spirit of honesty, when Jed said, what's a very true and helpful thing, of, there's no such thing as being bad at meditation, the first thing I thought internally is, then how would I know I need to get better at it? And that may be a sense <laughs> that uh, we could all use a little bit more meditation. So a great place to start <laughs> off. And Lee, where do we take things from there?
1: I loved all of that stuff from Jed and... and uh my My take on this is is interesting, kind of based on um how I came up with the scriptures actually so um when I think about this verse, I'm not actually really thinking about the physical act of of sitting still um I'm thinking about my mindset in whatever the life situation is like and I think the reason that I think that way is is actually because of the translation of the Bible that I was using when I started to actually kind of. Get more serious about my relationship with the Lord. I was <clears throat> reading what's called the uh, the NASV. That's the New American Standard uh, Bible or the New American Standard Version. And in Psalm 46, which is the the Psalm that you're quoting in this in this question, Psalm 46 verse 10 doesn't say "Be still and know that I am God." It says, "Cease your striving and know that I am God." That's an interesting translation. Cease your striving. Um, and the way, that, the way that that kind of landed on my brain when, whenever I read it, when I was, whatever, 19 or 20 years old, was it made me think about the way that I approach the problems that I have. Um, I think that my natural tendency in, in the issues that I'm facing or the problems that I have or the things I'm trying to work out is to kind of scheme all the angles and to get what I want out of the situation. And that usually comes out of a very cursory examination of what it is I think I want, or what it is I think I need. And I have whatever would be the best situation for me, and then I'm like, I'm going to do whatever it takes to make that happen for me. And so y- you notice a lot of personal pronouns here. I'm talking about myself working out something all on my own that benefits myself. At no point in there am i am I asking for advice or hoping that the Lord would enter into that in any way and so when I read this verse, particularly in that translation, the thing that happened to me was a realization that sometimes my scheming achieves for me ends that are not necessarily the thing that the Lord wants for me and not necessarily the thing that's best for me, and that there are situations in my life where It's not that I'm not supposed to work. It's not that I'm not supposed to uh, care. And it's not that I'm not supposed to set goals or anything like that, but that there are times in my life where the thing that the Lord would actually want for me to do is to in humility, realize I, I don't see all the angles of this. I don't see all the sides of this and I need to let him work some things out for me. I need to let him lead me in some things. Now, That whole rabbit trail to say, when you understand the verse in that direction, and and I, again, I love everywhere Jed took us in talking about meditation and what it would take to build up and learn kind of the art or the skill of, of sitting still and being quiet. This other kind of different interpretation of it makes me realize, like, I can do the practice of ceasing my striving while I'm exercising or while I'm working or while I'm doing the dishes or I don't have to actually be still I can see striving by deciding I'm going to disengage my thoughts from stressing out about this situation I'm going to play a video game and it could be you know one of these high stress video games or something like that but it's a it's a form of relaxation um what I'm doing is I'm taking my brain out of the mode of of scheming all the angles to get my situation to be exactly what I want it to be I'm I'm ceasing striving, and I'm chilling. I'm doing something else. Um, that's that's kind of a different way to look at this. It's a different take on it. But I could see striving by going on a jog. I could see striving by going on a hike. Um, it's not the same as being still, but it's kind of going at it from the angle of I am not going to scheme all the angles to get what I want out of my life. I'm going to let God lead me and i'm going to in humility um let him work some things out for me um that's that's slightly different take on that and so kind of see what see what works for you as you as you consider what it would look like to follow jed's advice about meditation and also kind of think are there some places in my life where i'm trying to seize control because i think i know what needs to happen and maybe what the lord is saying to me is You need to relax your grip on control and you need to let me handle some things for you.
0: That's fantastic stuff from both of these guys. Um, I think a a through line through both of their answers, which I want to pick up on and maybe uh, put a shine a light on a little bit more is what this be still and know certainly doesn't mean. I think we can pretty safely say is an attempt to appear holy and do what you think that super religious people would do and just let everything roll off on your back because uh, Jesus, whatever. Um, you're going to have problems. You're going to have emotional and uh, mental reactions to those problems. That's that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, as we pointed out many times on this show, um, if you were supposed to be totally detached from the world and free from desire, that's a different religion. That's called Buddhism. That's not actually Christianity. Um, nothing wrong with it, but it's really not what we're doing here. Um, and the other thing I would add is exactly as Leah is saying there, You know, with the striving, I think is a great, way to think of that. A lot of times uh, when, particularly when something happens um, your first thought, my first thought, i again I will be putting myself here is, okay, what do I need to do? And sometimes there's not an immediate thing you can do. You have to yep. uh, be still cause you really can't do anything or you can only yeah. do things that make it worse. And isn't that fun. Um, so uh, there are some times where you don't actually have to again, sit and just be super zen about it, but you're going to have to, uh, not be as active in some situations in life as you would like and uh, figuring out what to do with that emotionally, mentally, spiritually um, to be somewhat okay in those times of not being able to, to put action into it until you can is another, a good both opportunity for these things, but also a, when you do these skills, when you spend the time, uh, whether it's meditating, whether it's going for a run, doing these things that both these guys are talking about, you're going to have that skill set for when you really need it in those moments. And that is a, A good reason to put some effort into being still, which is a very strange concept, I understand, as I say it out loud. But I think you know what we mean. With that said, we're going to move on to our next question here. It comes in and says, How important is doctrine? It seems like the people who talk about good doctrine the most don't do most of the stuff Jesus talked about. very well-observed anonymous question asker. Uh, that is, if, if, if you're new to that idea, welcome. And, uh, we all came to it at some point and uh, that will be a thorn in your brain, slowly driving you mad. If you don't get a hold of it, uh, see, uh, for evidence, pre- 500 previous episodes of this podcast. Yeah. So a great <laughs> question. A in Jed, where would we start off here?
2: Well, here's my view. So if it's useful, keep it. If it's not toss it out. But what I would say is I would begin by doing a comparison to the world of architecture. Here's what I mean. Think of like really amazing architecture. Think of um, the Burj Khalifa. Think of the Sydney Opera House, you know, like just a really amazing, amazing um, uh, building, you know, just something with 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 grandeur to it. Right. Any piece of architecture that has that quality of like just amazing and grandeur and people would come from all over the world just to see it. It's a mixture of stuff that comes from your brain, you know math and physics, and stuff that comes from your heart, like design and sculpture and and art, you need both of those to have a building that stays upright and that people want to inhabit mm. and that's worth thinking about if you if you leave out the the stuff that comes from your brain the the math and the physics, you don't have a building; you just have a stack of materials on the ground hopefully that has not collapsed on top of anyone if you leave out that heart element the the artistic quality the design the sculpture there's no magic to it no no one's traveling around the world to see a square box man no one is is seeing it and beholding it and feeling inspired by it you know it's it's, it's just a box mm, right look it, how up to code it is <laughs> 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 the plumbing in that building won't need to be replaced for years i love it like no one no one feels that way about a building right and honestly we could actually do the exact same comparison via music right like you you if you've not been involved in music you might not know but like music is a ton of math and it's a ton of what they call music theory which is like rules about how music works and how notes fit together and and beats fit together and really really good music is a blend of this inspiration that comes from the soul with also kind of following some head knowledge with with a lot of skill and and a lot of ability what's interesting is that i think that that in a sense paul in 1st corinthians actually makes some very similar comparisons to um what we've just described with architecture or with music where he talks about knowledge and it being useful and valuable but only if you've got love if you if you don't have love then that knowledge on its own is worthless yeah but paul elsewhere also talks about loving well um he he prays that that we might increase our knowledge and depth of insight so that we might love well i'm pretty sure that's the first chapter of philippians and what you see is Paul write, drawing a contrast where you need you need love without that this you have nothing. This is not this is not a religion anymore. Um, but you also need to know need to know in a semi intellectual sense what to do with that love. You 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 need some some technique. You need to know you know what it is that we're going for. I think that a life of faith you need love and you need hope and you also need a sense of what it is that you actually believe. If we are way 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 lopsided on either one of those it's not going to be what it could be we're probably missing a lot every person is different every uh, ministry is different you know every life is different and so will we all have the exact same blend of the head and the heart no and and do we need to all have the exact same blend of the head and the heart no but if we're talking about a situation that is essentially all doctrine um, that is not going to work well, and we've got about 10 million Exhibit A's on that. Um, and if we're talking about a situation where it's basically all heart and there's there's no substance to it, I can actually tell you from experience that doesn't work very well either. Um, you know, we, we want to love much, but we also want to love well, and I think that's why doctrine is important.
0: I think that's an excellent place to take that, and... Uh, if you have been listening to this show for a long time, dear listener, you probably expected Jed to not be as kind to doctrine as he was there. So hmm, that should teach you something about preconceived notions, even on this podcast. So just take that with you. And uh, I put a lot of great stuff there, Lee, and where would we, what would we add to that?
1: Yeah, really, really great stuff there. And I mean, you know, the, the the way my simple brain thinks about all of the things Jed just said there is like, like, if you quote unquote believe all the right things, but you're a massive jerk, your doctrine means nothing. Yep. Um there's a there's a, a book I read a long long time ago by a guy who was a he was a uh a hand surgeon, a British uh expert in hand surgery and he also was he also was uh did a ton of work in uh in leper colonies both in India and in uh Louisiana in the United States. And he actually discovered a lot of things that we now understand about leprosy. Really interesting dude wrote, but he was a, he was a believer in Jesus, and he wrote um, some amazing books just kind of comparing some of the systems in the body um, to Paul's uh, amazing metaphor of the body of Christ. And one of the things that he talked about in one of his books was that, um, that it's important that a human body have the structure of the skeleton that the skeleton allows the body to stand up and move around and to you know to withstand the pressure of gravity and all those kinds of things and have structure he said, but the the, the thing that 's amazing about the human body is we don 't have an exoskeleton; the skeleton is covered by soft tissue and so that the presentation of a hug is you're experiencing the soft tissue you're not experiencing the, the the bone of a skull and the and you know and the the forearm you know the forearm bones and you know all that kind of stuff and he said so the the body of Christ needs to have the structure of the doctrine but it needs the presentation of the soft tissue of care and love and all that stuff i thought that was a really really cool way yeah. of Saying all the, all the stuff that Jed just said, um, the, when we get down to the meat and potatoes of this, uh, this question, the fact is that every denomination in the Christian tradition believes different things, all of them. Um, now, what can also be said is that at the basics of all of those denominations, there are three or four things that they all believe. So the thing that we need to do is that we need to agree on kind of the non-negotiable things that what are the things that make this religion our religion? What, what, are the, what are the core doctrines where we would say this is the skeletal structure of what it means to be a follower of Jesus? We agree on every denomination agrees on these three or four things. And then all of the things that are Related to that as the as the as the tree branches out and we start to think different things about communion or baptism or whatever, then we can have uh, we can have generosity and and grace on the different denominations and people who see some things differently than us, knowing that at the foundation we believe the same things, so that we can have the structure of the body of Christ that presents with the soft tissue of generosity and kindness and understanding. Now we have to keep these things in balance there's a really important um Jed gave you a really important place in scripture to think about these things in in talking about first Corinthians thirteen There's another really cool one that talks directly about people who are super super in love with with doctrine and being uh sharp on that stuff and that comes from the words of Jesus himself and at the end of John chapter five, if you want to look this up there's a place where Jesus is in a conversation with some dudes who are not happy with him, and he says to them, you know, the thing that kills me about you guys is that you pour over the scriptures, thinking that in the scriptures you're going to find life. And the problem is, all of those scriptures talked about me, and you refuse to come to me and find life. That's unbelievable, man. That's an incredible insight. He's saying, literally, God in the flesh is standing in the room with you and what you want to stand on is your own uh, study and expertise and, and uh, an investigation of the scriptures. And I'm standing right here. And that just goes to show you that when there, there are certain times when people can get so in love with their own kind of skill or nerdery or whatever about the Bible and about doctrine that they, they won't take the time to get to know the one that the doctrine is all about, and the one that the doctrine is all about is the one who said, judge no one, forgive everyone, feed poor people, pray for people who are mean to you, and th- and and it's like, and these are the things that Christians are not known for. Well, that's a gigantic problem. <laughs> yep. that's, that's a yep. massive, massive problem. When the movement is not known for—and and by the way— and those are some of the ancillary things. When he was questioned about what the most important thing about the whole deal is, is love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. This is what people that believe in Jesus should be known for. All the doctrine boils down to that sentence. And if we're not known for that, then and, but we are known for really, really, really loving doctrine, then we've gotten the whole thing skewed.
0: Uh, that's great stuff from both of these guys. On that, um, I I think the the point of you know Jesus was right in front of people who are in love with doctrine, and they they either didn't recognize that or were not that interested in that part. Is a really really useful frame for seeing a line between where doctrine can be a useful thing, as as Jed and Lee both lined out, and where it becomes just navel gazing for its own. Uh, Issue and in that way can be destructive in and of itself, and can also be used destructively. Uh, This is going to sound. This is going to be a bit of a tangent, but but go with me here. They have they have since been declassified, uh, CIA documents for literally how they would go their instructions for going and infiltrating left wing organizations and making them less effective around the world. And one of them was in the meetings. Make sure you bring up arguments over like how stuff should be worded. Like make sure that everything that can be discussed and thought about and dissected, no matter how small you just make sure they keep doing that because then they won't do the thing they actually want to do. And, um, I'm not accusing anyone of being in league with the devil, but, <laughs> um, if, that we can agree that that's a useful tactic for stopping people from actually doing anything affecting in their chosen field. Well, there's a fair amount of that going on. And maybe that's from people who are just kind of not interested in the other stuff. Um, I think there is a, you know, from the nineties, two thousands, a lot of evangelical culture left over. There was this idea that you could be Christian and also be really smart about it. Hmm. Smarter than other people. There was a phrase that went around, which I'm, I heard, I'm sure these guys heard growing up, which is in retrospect, just like so unhelpful, which is, and you'd see the bumper sticker, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. Which was supposed to be this huge (laughs) gotcha of, you know, right? Believing in something. And it's actually, oh, you know, it actually takes more faith to be an atheist because you're believing in what particles and a a sand turned into a watch was a very popular analogy and all that stuff. And, uh, here's the thing. Uh, speaking of things that Jesus and the Bible actually said, uh, it said people will consider you foolish if you believe this.
1: That's right.
0: You will be seen as like a small child. And that's the only way that's done. And I think there's a lot of people in a lot of echelons of Christianity, Christian culture, Christian academia who were super not cool with the idea that anyone will consider them foolish. So they've got to, they've got to have a systematized concept. When you think about the idea of theology, just in theologies of it, it's a little bit ridiculous to put it aside biology and that kind of stuff as just a, this is a thing we're studying. Well, if you study something, biology, chemistry, physics, it's based on what you can observe. Um, the guy who wrote most New Testament said, I only see as though through a mirror darkly. There's actually right. very little that can be observed about this whole, this whole thing. Ironically, most of what can be observed about Christians is how they treat other people. Yep. Hmm. So, um, there's, uh, there's a lot of fun in that. But the other thing I would put forth, if you, if you, if part of the reason you're asking this is it seems like if, if part of the reason you're asking this is it seems like how much of this do I have to have lined out? Um, there's, there's a phrase that I, Lee and his boss used on uh, many, many years ago, uh, which is cookie monster theology. I don't know if that was a triple a, a C original, if they came with it somewhere, but if you're familiar with cookie monster, uh, from Sesame street in the era before HBO bought it, so you could actually access it. Um, The song was, "See Us for cookie, and that's good enough for me. So kind of going back to, we're starting this, there's a line of theology that's good. The Apostles' Creed, you know, a few things have lined out that what uh, makes this religion different from other belief structures, that's cool. But there's a point where that stops being useful and starts being uh, confounding, if anything else. And you'll actually find that all throughout the New Testament, all throughout the Gospels, the people who Jesus lauds, the people who are moving forward, the people who make breakthroughs, are not waiting until they have all the available information lined out.
1: Yeah.
0: There's a lot of, I I do believe help my unbelief to whom shall we go? You have the words of life. Come and see people jumping out of boats, people getting up and they say, who is it healed? you like, I don't know, but he healed me. And that's pretty much all I needed to know about it. Right. And so uh, there's a lot of, of life and a lot of uh, positivity and a lot of growth and uh, adventure to be had. Just on that edge of knowing what we know and acknowledging what we don't know, and that's where the faith part comes in. And uh, so, I to kind of loop us back around to where Jed started us. Um, we're actually not totally crapping on the idea of doctrine. You, dear listener, may be as surprised as us by that, but uh, <laughs> it is a thing. It is useful it, to a point. If you try to make it the whole thing, taking it back to Jed's uh, architecture building analogy it's great to have a really solid foundation for your building. If you yeah. try to build your whole building out of foundation, no one wants to live there. That's not going to work. <laughs> um, once the foundation is set, you got to start doing other stuff to make this a thing that's actually going to be functional. So uh, uh, hopefully that is helpful in your idea of how to fold doctrine into the, the life you are living, which is the point of doctrine. It turns out with that, we're going to move on to our final question. It comes in here and says, my partner and I have never wanted children. We kept waiting for the urge, the excitement about having kids, but only ever felt a vague sense of dread. After almost a decade of marriage, uh, I have gotten a surgery that makes that no longer an option. Now my family is mad that we're not following God's commands. Is there anything I can do do to convince them that this is what God wants for me and my family? A, a wonderful question, and uh, we're certainly sorry you're in this situation, but hopefully we can. Uh, Give you some ideas that are going to help here. And Jed, where would we start?
2: Appreciate the question. Um, I'm sorry for the difficulties, my friend. There are a lot of layers, I think, to both what is going on and to what can be said to it. And um, I'm just going to give you one that I I hope is helpful. Uh, We've got your back. We're praying for you. Something that I think is a factor in your situation that I think actually is a factor in a lot of situations in life, like way more than we give credit for, is that most people are super, super bad at simply acknowledging there's a thing that I wanted and I didn't get it and now I'm frustrated. Yep. Most people are incredibly bad at that and they don't know what to do when they feel frustrated. And. They don't like the way that it feels to be frustrated and they don't like um, they don't like the situation and they just don't know how to process that. And they end up making all kinds of mistakes um, off of that. And for what it's worth, I mean, I can't see into another person's heart. But if you think about the genre of Karen videos that circulate online, I think the overwhelming majority of those are people who do not know how to process their own frustration that they, they wanted a thing and that thing didn't happen, and now I'm frustrated and I don't know what to do with it, and I'm it, it's coming out in really unfortunate ways. So, again, I don't think that that's the only layer that's going on here uh, with, with you and with your family, um, but I do think that a layer is there's a thing that they wanted and they didn't get it, and they feel frustrated, and they do not know how to process those emotions. Mm. If we follow that for a second, I think it may explain a little bit more of their behavior than you might think part of the reason why people in general are, are bad at acknowledging when they are frustrated about an outcome is that there's something really vulnerable about that, right? Mm-hmm. Cause like when you're, you know, you went to the, to the chicken shack and you thought you had a coupon that was, you know, two for one sandwiches and you didn't realize it expired a month ago and they're not going to honor it because it's expired. That deal is no longer like it's not even in the cash register. Like I can't, there's no way for me to give you the free sandwiches. I think part of the the pain is there's a thing that I that I wanted that I didn't get. And now I don't know if I had a point or not. Like, mm. that's a really vulnerable place to be, to be like, I have these negative emotions that I like, and I don't know if I have a right to have them. That's a terrible, terrible, terrible place to feel. And it, it tempts people to really bad behavior. So because it has this risky, vulnerable quality to it, I think most people... Default to insisting that they must have a point, because if I have a point, if I have a right to feel frustrated, that's a much, much easier pill for me to swallow. I'm still frustrated, but I at least have a right to my frustration. And if I'm willing to go that far, if I'm a religious person, if God thinks that I have the right to be frustrated here, so much the better. Because mm. now I don't even have to plead my own case. That's still kind of vulnerable. If I'm just pointing out how God feels about all of this, I don't have to be vulnerable at all. In fact, I have gone from being maybe a person who's being a little bit immature and doesn't know how to process their emotions to standing up for truth and contend for the such faith, Jed. I'm I'm contending for the faith, y'all. It's not that I wanted the two for one chicken sandwiches on an expired coupon. And they said no, because it's that's not what we do here. It's that I'm contending for the faith.
0: Promises used to mean something in this country. Promises like two (laughs) chicken sandwiches for one. (laughs) That's what they're trying to take from me.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah. You can can hear the the, the fife and fiddle and drum in the background (laughs) as they're giving this speech. Wow. Right. So, man, people will dress up the emotions that they feel ashamed about until they don't have to be ashamed of them anymore. Yeah, dude. And that's not the only layer that's going on here, but I think it's a big layer that's going on here. But it's important to remember, mute the the soundtrack. Take get rid of the the high minded language they're frustrated they had a two for one coupon they didn't realize it expired they didn't get the two for one and now they're frustrated and they don't know what to do with it. I think that's a big part of where we're at and I'm about to say something to you that I would hate to have someone say to me so uh, you are free to totally ignore uh and actually the the person in question you have my email so like um if, if you want to email me and tell me that you're mad at me i I agree. You should be for the following thing. The most saintly thing I can imagine is acknowledging to yourself internally, OK, these people are frustrated. That's a big part of what we're doing with and figuring out, is there any way to show compassion in this moment? Because they're being awful and they're out of pocket and I'm going to have to set some boundaries. And, and you know, it, it may have to get worse before it gets better. But given that they're coming from a place of hurt. Whether they have a point or not is, is there a way for me to be compassionate here? Is there, do I have any move here at all? Like, I think that is part of the Christian question. To be clear, I wouldn't want anyone suggesting that to me in this moment because (laughs) you're being mistreated. And so it is like absurd to ask you to even think about what compassion would look like in that moment. But I think that it's worth asking, given that we we strongly suspect a lot of this is coming from a place of frustration and I don't know what to do with myself. And I want to be clear. There may not be an avenue to show compassion. Mm. It may, it may not be there. It depends a lot on the specifics. It depends on how hard they're prepared to go, how much they're planning to misbehave. I think it's, I think it's worth including that in your um, considerations and in your prayer life of, is that even possible here? But I think the, the more that we can, stay tethered to the reality of what's actually going on. Where, Man, this is not a question about theology. It's not a question about, you know, what does the Bible say about procreation? There's people that had an expectation. They didn't get the thing they thought they were going to get. Now they're frustrated, and they don't know what to do with it.
0: Absolutely right. Um, one thing that is, is a helpful thought, and going back to something earlier in the episode, may not be the most helpful thing to say out loud, is sometimes uh, your parents, particularly if they're of a particular age where their upbringing may have been a certain way, they have what if a actual child was having it, you would call big feelings.
2: Yep, <laughs> it doesn't actually
0: mean they have a point. In the nope. same way, the toddler doesn't actually need to eat chocolate for dinner. They don't actually need this thing. They just feel like they do, mm. and there's an important <laughs> difference there. So, uh, great stuff there from Jed and Lee. Where do we take this from there?
1: I absolutely love all that, and we're gonna we're gonna dig into that a little bit deeper, and we're gonna we're I'm I'm just gonna. I'm going to take that ball and and run a little bit farther down the field with it. Um, First, let me go ahead and say this. Uh, Current estimates are that um, there are over 8 billion people in the world. And a lot of them can't be fed. I think out of all the things that God asked of humans, that's the one thing we did. We, we, Uh, we were fruitful. We were fruitful. We
2: multiplied. Um, Some would say maybe a little too much. So (laughs) Did Adam do finger guns at God in that moment? <laughs> pew!
1: you, <Gotcha>, homie. Um, <laughs> you're welcome. Only um, by the sweat of my brow. That sounds terrible. Now this one doesn't sound so bad. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So number one, uh, you know, you're you're talking about how can I how can I convince my relatives? Well, the answer to that is you can't convince anybody of anything because if if somebody's on a thing, they're on it. But um, you should know as far as you know, Bible verses and the commands of the Lord and whatnot. Um, the people that are saying this to you do not want you to come back at them with what commands of the Lord they are not keeping. Um, I I don't I don't suggest that you handle the situation that way, but you can take great comfort in knowing that they don't give a crap about the commands of the Lord. They don't. They they don't actually it's exactly what Jed's talking about. So Let's dig into that a little bit more, okay? I had a recent situation with um, a good friend who um, um, had just become a father, and um, he had had a difficult kind of relationship with his father when he was growing up, and so now his father is a grandfather. And, um, and we were having this conversation. He said, you know, it's, it's really interesting my dad and I are on really good terms right now. Well, talk to me about that. What's going on? He's like, I don't know what to tell you, man. He's an amazing granddad. And he he really is, like, I can tell that he is really pouring his heart into this granddad role. And this is not a unique situation. I mean, I can't tell you the number of people who are like, man. My parents spoil my kids, and they treated me harshly, like it was hard to grow up up in that house and now my 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 kids they just spoil them rotten, like what is this okay i'm going to explain this to you um in as simple terms I can. Grandparenting is a do over for people who have shame about how they parented it's a do over what you're seeing is. Big feelings, like Matt said, and Jed, and as Jed said, a, a, a frustrated expectation. And for a lot of people, that is a very deep thing where they felt like I didn't get it right with my own kids. It's too late. What I want is a do over. How many people have you known that when they went to college, they like they they, they went off to a, a different city to go to college, and they introduced themselves to everybody with some nickname that nobody at their high school knew them by because they were having a do over baby. I'm in a new town. I've got a new situation. I get to start all over again and not make some of the mistakes that I made the first time. Hey, I'm T-Bone. Nice to meet you. (laughs) Exactly. So uh, what I want you to understand is there is a very, very common thing where people feel that way about grandparenting. Grandparenting is their chance to get it right. And we're in a different situation in life. We're a little bit less stressed out. We're a little bit less busy. We have some l- less constraints on our life. We, we've, got a, you know, we've got kind of an income figured out and all that kind of stuff. And this is our chance to crush it. And now I know what I did wrong with you bozos, and I'm going to get it right with your kids. Um, here's what I want to say to you on that. Absolutely zero of that is your fault and your responsibility to hook up. It is not your responsibility to hook them up with that chance. It is not your fault that people feel that way. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you that's down in there somewhere. This, this was their chance to have a do-over. And now, now that we've dug a, a little bit deeper into that, that frustrated expectation thing, let's dig a little bit deeper into Jed's suggestion that you are going to send him a nasty email about, the compassion thing. What if we offer an olive branch and some chances to get some of this relationship repaired What if we do it with boundaries? What if we do it with with some with with a, a slow burn timeline on it? But what if we offer mom and dad a chance to have some repairs? Just the offering of of a repair technique the 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 outreach of Let's see what relationship we can have. We're not going to be best friends because some bridges have been burned and some, some troubling things have happened. But how can we have a relationship that we all feel good about um, going forward in our lives? I'm not going to offer you the thing that you wanted, which is just to, just to shove our relationship under the rug while you get to spoil some kid rotten that you don't have to discipline and you don't have to whatever, whatever. But we've had some troubles. H- how, could we, how could we make some repairs? I'm not telling you that sounds good to me. I think it sounds difficult. I think it sounds like a lot of work, and I think it sounds like a lot of compassion, and I think it sounds like a lot of generosity, and I don't think it's going to be a quick thing, but I'm telling you some of that is down there, um, and, um, and that may be a way forward. I'm not telling you you have to do that. But I just want to give you a, a a kind of a paradigm with which to look at this whole thing from and understanding that it is not your responsibility to make anybody um, happy about the way that you're following the Lord. It's not your responsibility to make anybody pleased with the way that you uh, handle your family and the way that you grow or 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 live in your family situation with your partner. None of that is on you. But if we understand where maybe some of this is coming from, then maybe we look at some options at handling some of it going forward.
0: I think it's wonderful stuff from both these guys. A couple of quick things I'll tack on in here. One is um, if there is an attempt to Bible you, um, as ever on this show, we would not necessarily suggest Bibling back because that's not (laughs) going to be super helpful. But... Sometimes it is helpful to know for yourself that this is just not a case. Yes, there is, you know, be fruitful, multiply. He says that to Adam and Eve. There's no reason to believe that there's a, a contingent command to all human beings at all times to have to do that. Yes, there are many times in the in the Old Testament, particularly, I think in the New Testament, where the idea that the, uh, children are a blessing and that's great to the people who are being described as having them there. Uh, there's also this verse which says in Psalm 137, verse nine, happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. <laughs> now, yeah. that's obviously yeah. very specific and uh, not a, a command or illustrative to all people in all times. Here's the thing. Same thing with the other verses. So if someone yeah. understands that just because there's this one sentence in the Bible, doesn't mean that this is a good thing all the time. They've just, dis- demonstrated the ability to understand that <laughs> the other kind of what should, it, it is not because as we pointed out, there's no convincing people who are stuck on their thing. What should be the open and shut case of not having children is not define God's will is uh, famously Jesus didn't have any children. Mm. That expands out to Paul and a num- probably a number of disciples. The real fun conversation you will never hear any Christians have is, Probably a lot of the disciples did have children who they abandoned to follow Jesus because right. they were already grown. So that really throws a monkey wrench in the whole family values interpretation of Christianity, but that's a slightly separate conversation. Um, but so again, those two those two things are in there. The other thing, as someone who uh I am married, I am middle-aged, I do not have children, not any plans to have children. Here's the thing that I want you to know for yourself, friend you do not need to do other things in your life to justify not having had children. That's right. To yourself or to these people, you don't need to say, well, no, we don't have children, but here's how often we volunteer and we actually have the, the extra income we have that we don't spend on that. We actually do really good things with that. And you know, we're bettering ourselves and there's this extra time and we go to the old folks home. We actually, we actually love kids and we actually have friends or parents. It's wonderful if all that's true or however you choose to spend your time and money. That's great. You don't have to make that case to validate your choice yeah. and it wouldn't work anyway. So you don't have to do that to other people. You also don't have to do that to yourself. Here's the thing you say, you know, we've been married for almost a decade. At no point did we decide we wanted to have children. Here's something I feel pretty comfortable saying. And two of the people on this show do not have kids. Uh, Lee is a great father. His kids have grown all the way up. They he's finished <laughs> that and they're wonderful. So you trust Lee on parenting things. Very few things in the world have done as much damage to children as parents who had children, cause they thought, Hey, you know, we didn't have anything else going on.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Like, You're
0: right. This is, you are doing a good thing. I would, I would go so far as to say if to not have kids just for the sake of doing it. Um, so, uh, that is a considered choice. There's this, this kind of idea that anyone who doesn't have children just doesn't have them yet. If You made your choice and you thought through your choice, you prayed through your choice, then that's cool. People should respect that. If they're not, we're very sorry for that. But again, um, there's, probably not a lot of headway to be made in making them see why this is right for you. Uh, you got some great advice from these guys on things that can be done in that relationship that may be worth doing, but it's also always worth to yourself, just re reinforcing these people don't have a point. You don't have to jump through the hoops to make them think you are correct about this. You are correct about this because you are, that's kind of open and shut on that. And uh, we definitely believe that. On Your behalf, all right. Do you have a question for us? That podcast at gmail.com, the ask. You want to keep that entirely anonymous? We are in the thick of the Christmas music season. let take it out with a song from Jed and our friend Linz Honeyman. Nah. They're taken away in a manger. They that. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God, we love you. There's nothing you can do about it.
2: Away in a manger, no crib for us. A- Lays down his sweet head The stars in the sky